Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. That I would become, the fruit that I bear is going to be to the world, that the world would see more of Christ in me. It's that Christ-like connection. I'm so vitally connected to Him that I will become more like Him. So yes, an apple tree bears apples, but I want you to know this is Christ is the vine. When I'm connected to Him, I'm going to bear more of a Christ-like lifestyle, more of a Christ-like character to this world. So the greatest fruit that I possibly could have, bearing more of that to this world, is that they would see Jesus Christ in me. Now where are, where are you in all of that? Especially when you go through trials, do they really see more of Christ in us? So why do we need to be pruned? This whole passage talks about being pruned. Well, pruning is unavoidable and necessary for fruit bearing. I want you to remember this phrase and write it in your margin. We are being pruned, not punished. Would you write that down? We are being pruned, not punished. All of our punishment, every bit, everything I've done wrong, will do wrong, doing wrong now, I want you to know I need to be punished for that. But Jesus took the punishment for me on the cross, so now everything I'm going through is a pruning process so I could become more like Jesus Christ. A horticulture magazine said this. Let me read this to you. It's not long, but it's so rich. It says, pruning, it's in an article called Pruning a Grapevine Step by Step. It says, mature grapevines need yearly pruning to produce large clusters of sweet, delicious grapes. Okay, if that's true and the Lord is staying with that analogy, that must mean that I'm going to need consistent pruning. Now with a vine, it might be yearly, but for me, I'm going to need it probably daily because of how spindly that I'm going to be. Those of you that lived in uh, Northern California, the Napa Valley, you can't go anywhere without seeing everything to do with wine and grapes and vines and all of this kind of stuff. And they are so pretty, beautiful, lush, green, acres all the way to the horizon like sometimes we see in our beautiful pineapple fields in Central Island. We see all of that. Then you see the luscious grapes and they're usually green at the time. They're not the Welch's grape juice stuff. They're the green. They're all hanging all over and you just see it. It's just beautiful and they're just bending over with all of the fruit. And then it's usually in the springtime you go back over there again and what do you see? Acres and acres and miles and miles of a bunch of vines that look dead. It's because during that time they trimmed it all back. They got rid of the dead branches. They lifted up the weak branches. They snipped the branches to bear even more fruit. And now you think, what a way. This thing is horrible. And then you just give it time. God's beautiful, brilliant sunshine and water, fertilizer, and the vine dresser. I'm going to tell you those vines will be beautiful again, bearing even more fruit than the year before. It goes on to say in the article, also remove any dead wood. If you're unsure what is dead, cut the branch and examine its center. Now, I'm not very smart. I, we bought this house and the, the people who left it left us, as, I guess it's like a ficus tree. Do anybody know what a ficus tree is? If you do nod your head, you know what a ficus tree is? It's in a pot. It hasn't grown much bigger. It's kind of it's, it's there. It's green enough so that Carol doesn't want me to throw it away, but it's not like what I would like it to be. And sometimes it has a dead branch. Now, I didn't snip it right away, but I took the dead branch, and what I do, I don't know if you do this, I take my fingernail and I scrape the side of that little branch to see if there's any green stuff in there. Have you ever done that to, to see if it's still alive? 
And when it's not alive, then I take my prune and there it goes. I don't know if I made the plant look healthier or not, but the dead branches are gone. And so sometimes we have to look into our own core system to see, are we really dead? We didn't lose our salvation, but are we really dead? Have we really come alive for Christ? You have to ask that and then answer that, have you? Well, it goes on to say how much that we can then bear fruit. But beside us needing it, pruning also yields more fruit. And my, how it really does. When God begins to work in our life, all of a sudden we sense ourselves growing. Here's a question. Do you sense that you have plateaued right now in your walk with God? Is it possible? Do you kind of felt like you're kind of going through the motions? You love God. You hate Satan. You know, you're not going to abandon the faith. But you just kind of stopped growing. And the first thing we do is we begin to blame the people around us. It's our mate's fault. It's the preacher's fault. It's blah, blah, fault. whatever it really is. But it could be within us at that various moment. And maybe it's a time for us to go back to abide in his word and to sense his very presence and to begin to draw from him his life-giving juice and strength. So pruning will yield more fruit. And finally, pruning hurts. All of us that have been pruned, and I believe you have been, or he's lifting you up, and if, he has, if he's lifted you up and you're still not bearing fruit and he's pruned you and you're still not bearing fruit, then I do believe you're a dead branch. doesn't mean you've lost your salvation, but you are. Here it is. And I wish I was... I wish I had my arm around you when I say this. I really do. At that point, you're useless. And if you're useless, then why be here any longer? It's at that point that you're removed. So pruning will really hurt. It's very painful, but it yields more fruit. As you know, this last week I was in Houston, but I had some friends of our family, Carol and me, Jack and Barbie. They hosted me. It was an hour or so away, but it saved us money. We didn't have to get a motel, and I didn't want to crash the party of the Schumanns and all the people they had from out of town, so I stayed with them. And while we were in the living room late one night after the flight when I arrived, they were saying to me how that this year has been a horrific year. They were, on the, they were in California at the time. Their granddaughter got married. They spent every bit of money they could to get there and to get back. When they arrived home, their van blew something that cost a couple thousand dollars to repair. While it was at the shop, their air conditioner in their home, which is a central thing, all went down. It shut down completely and they had to put in a whole new system. While that was going on, he had a huge heart episode, so he was in the hospital for over three weeks having surgery and other things that were going on with him. All of this was hitting. And I was trying to take their temperature. Well, how, how are you doing now with your love for the Lord, you know? And they looked at me and they said, this has been the hardest year of our life, but I've never experienced more growth, more sense of his presence, more opportunities to serve the Lord, as well as we were able to share the gospel with all these different people that would have never come into our life unless we were there. Now, lest you think that they are uh, young bucks, I want you to know he's 85, she's 84, and they're still going strong. And they've decided to adopt into their family the regional director for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes who have... A twin girls and they adopted an, a 12-year-old daughter that they've taken into their house and they're saying, we will take care of your kids, we'll take care of you, we'll do whatever we can to serve you, to release you, to do all you can to reach athletes for Christ in three different states. Now that is a result of the pruning that goes on in their life. It was painful, painful. But now they're bearing more fruit. I wanted to tell them but. You'll be so proud of me that I didn't. I wanted to say, well, you'll probably get pruned again. But I didn't tell him that. But we all will. 
Well, some of you are wondering, what are the pruning tools that the Lord uses? Now, you have to really lean into this. This is going to be very important now. I've listed four of them for you in your outline, but I'm going to now put them in a particular order. You'll look at them there. God will use the following tools to prune us. He will use His Word, the Word of God, to prune us. I want to start with that because Scripture says this. Scripture says that it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword so it could divide our insides, not our gut, but our motives and our emotions and our thought patterns and everything so that we would begin thinking right. That's where the repentance issue comes in. We begin to repent and think properly so the Word is working from the inside out in our life. Hold your place in John. You've got to see this. You want to have your pens ready. You've got to go to Psalm 119, my favorite... I think Old Testament Psalm, Psalm 119. Look at this. This is, this is so important. I want you to see it because this passage is going to talk about the tools that come into our life and what God uses now to bring forth more fruit. We're looking at Psalm 119. We're going to look at verse 67. It says, David speaking. He says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Instead of the word afflicted for a moment, let's think of the word pruning. Before I was pruned, I went astray. Affliction brought the pruning. But now I keep your word. That's what I want you to mark. It was the affliction that threw the person to the word. Now if you will go to verse 71 in the same psalm. It says, it is good for me. Woo! That's the attitude. It was good for me that I was afflicted. I was pruned that I might learn your statues. So we're talking about the word, but we're talking about what the Lord is bringing into their life to get them into the word. Go now to verse 75. David now says, I know, underline that, I know. Before he said it was good, now he says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments and righteousness and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. How rich that is. Now look at the next three under the word word there. You're going to see daily circumstances. That means every single day the Lord is pruning us. Whatever you went through this morning at the house to get ready to come to church, the Lord was pruning you and me. Whatever you experienced today while you're here, the Lord was pruning you. Some of that could have been such a light little tender snip. You never even experienced, you never even saw it. But I want you to know it was a daily circumstance. Every day. This afternoon, He'll be pruning you. Remember, it's all about glory to Him through more fruit. So it's all good. Then it says through major struggles. I've already described Jack and Barbies. But some of you right now are going through a major struggle and it ain't over yet. He's doing some pruning. I don't know. He might have his saw out right now and he's really going at you. But that's going to happen. And then, of course, I think one of his favorites is he usually does it through relationships, doesn't he? Somehow the relationships he uses. Now, I want you to look up here for a second. This is huge. What I want you to think right now is if I had a, a pruning shear, two handles on the pruning shear, so we're going to talk about the daily circumstances. We're going to talk about the major struggles. It's through relationships. Usually people are involved somehow. Maybe it's finances, fitness, friends, foes, family, but somewhere relationships, right? Two handles, right? These two handles are held by the Lord. In other words, He's permitting this stuff to come into our life. He's still the, the vine dresser. And He's now holding on to His pruning shears. But that which snips you is going to be the metal part, and that's going to be the Word of God. So here's what you want to think. Whatever you're going through, it should be driving you deeper into the Word so that the Word changes you. If not, you will run from your circumstances. You'll try to minimize all the struggles that you have, thinking that, okay, now I can bear, bear fruit. When all of that is to drive us deeper into His Word, watch this, watch this, 
Abiding in Christ is no different than abiding in His Word. Keep that in mind. Go a little bit deeper. Now this is Ponzism. I'm wondering sometimes if most of my problem of not abiding in in the Word and, and not really getting the fruit that I should have is because I'm neglecting my time in the Word. So here's what happens. If I would rest in His Word, stay in His Word, watch it, let the Word of God begin to speak to me. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I could learn His Word. I wonder if I'm learning His Word, I might minimize some of my afflictions. So not run from the afflictions, but run to the Word of God. And if I'm running to the Word of God, it's the Word of God now that changes us from the inside out for His glory. So maybe some of us, we just keep neglecting, abiding in His Word. I mean, we might read it every day. We might even listen to CDs and Christian radio every day. But we're not living it. We're not sucking in all the truth into our life and changing our thoughts and our talk and our walk because of that. And so he keeps snipping and snipping and snipping. And eventually, we don't respond to the snipping. He lifts us up. We don't respond to that any longer. And finally, we're just kind of dead. Dead in the sense, not lost salvation, not spiritually dead, 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 but just useless. Just useless. Well, let's go back to John 15 as I try to bring this to a close here. <clears throat> so what are we to do? Well, we're to abide in Jesus Christ, and that's where our passage, passage takes us. Verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So, I don't produce the fruit. He produces the fruit. I just stay abiding in Him. And by the way, in your margin, you might want to find that the word abide is mentioned ten times in this short passage alone. Ten times the idea of abiding. And some of you are saying, what does the word abide mean? I explained that a couple weeks ago. Abide means to remain or to stay put. If I went to your house and you invited me over to eat and to spend the afternoon and maybe even the weekend with you, which would be nice, all that, I'm still going to be going home. I have my own home to go to. I'm going home. But you are abiding there. You are staying there. So the real question is, is, do I kind of visit the Lord? Do I visit His Word? Do I visit spiritual things from Him that I could get this life-giving thing? Or am I abiding there, which means I live there. It becomes my life. I eat, drink, I sleep, I rest in. I abide in Him. And by the way, we can flip it now. Flip it is, is His Word abiding in me? Or do I just kind of grab it now and then? Or is it now so captivating my thought and my motives? Like I said, our talk and our walk. And that's all a part of abiding in Him. Now as I looked at that phrase, abide in me and I in you, I think the abiding in me is the active part. You, it's a command. You abide in me, which means we have a choice whether we do it or not. We're in Christ, but now to be in Him. In Him, abiding in Him, that's a choice. That's the active part. The passive part is, all right, now, Lord, I want you to feel at home in me. And now, would He feel at home in you? Even what you're thinking now. When's He going to get over with this sermon? It's time to go. I don't know what you're thinking about. But is He feeling at home in you? I can't judge you. It takes both. It takes me abiding in Him. But it also takes me allowing Him to abide in me. The last little part of this is a little more painful. And I hate to end on this, but it's a warning that we all need to know. 
He says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So there's no fruit bearing apart from abiding in him pruning. I am the vine, you're the branches. He abides in me, I in him. He bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can't really do anything. Now, I know we can do stuff for Christ, but we cannot do that life-giving, life-changing. When I use the word supernatural, I don't want you to think in terms of speaking in another language or doing some wild and bizarre stuff. And I mean, just really walking in a victorious walk. We cannot do it without him. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, in other words, you choose not to abide in him, to live in him, it says, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Notice what it doesn't say after the word burned in verse 6. It doesn't say, and they are burned up. It just says, they are burned. I believe this is talking, again, for the more severe time when finally all that the Lord has done for us, we keep rejecting His pruning, we reject where He lifts us up, we reject abiding in Him, we reject Him abiding in us, we play with it all the time. We are this wild branch that we are now dead to that. We are now useless to that. And if we're useless, then it's at that time that He's going to take us and we're burned. That burning, used throughout Scripture, is a form of judgment. For a believer in Scripture, that is a judgment that does take place with fire at the judgment seat of Christ. Not to determine whether we go to heaven or not, but to determine the kind of rewards we get. Because everything we did with our life, abiding and not abiding, is going to be made known into gold, silver, precious stone, hay, wooden, stubble. And as we go through this burning, all the good will be burned. I mean, will be well, all of it will be burned, but that which is of the Lord, will remain. And so, for you and me, I don't want to be useless. And maybe another way to look at it, and I'll close truly with this. In the Sermon on the Mount, it says that we're the salt, but if we've lost our saltiness, it says we're good for nothing and we're to be trampled under. That doesn't mean that people are going to walk all over our bodies because we're no good for Christ any longer. It just means we're useless. That's it. And what do we do? We kind of get rid of it. And that's the same idea here. We're burned. We're useless. It's over with. And maybe some of us are very shortly getting ready to be taken home. And unfortunately, as a pastor for almost 40 years, I have known people who were believers in Christ, who walked with Christ, and at certain times in their life they chose not to abide, X reasons, none of them acceptable, I think, to the Lord. The Lord was gracious, merciful, kind to them, and they kept rejecting it. And they died horrible deaths in the midst of committing crime. And they, they lost their life, but not their salvation. And remember, that only came from a gracious God who did everything at the front end so that we wouldn't have to get to the last end. Now, some of you are thinking, I, I still can't believe in a God who will take someone home just because they don't abide. I want you to remember that as much as He loves us, and it sounds like all this is about us, it isn't about us. It's all about Him, and He's got to protect His reputation. I just protect it. He's a big God. You know what I mean. That's his reputation, it's his name, it's his testimony, it's all about Jesus. And if we continue to keep doing despite to the grace of God, to the glory of God here, he's got to remove us at that time so that his work can continue. Now, that's the negative, but go back to the front. None of us want that. So let's just do this. Let's first of all make sure we're in Christ. Let's place our faith in Him. Don't come to Him with a boatload of our good works, whether they're social or whether they're religious. We want to say, Lord, I'm lost. I need a Savior. You're it. I believe in You. You'll accept me into You. I'm trusting in You. And He says, 
Come on in. You have everlasting life. Now that you're in here, I want you to stay in here. I want you to abide in me. And I'm going to prune you. I may lift you up sometimes. I prefer not to take you as a dead branch and get rid of you because you're useless. Still be saved, but useless to the kingdom. But right now, you have a choice. Now, folks, I pray you make the right choice. Don't try to push your car up the hill. It's got plenty of gas and power. Just tap the accelerator and let it do the work. You don't have to work your way to heaven. Just place your faith in Christ. You have eternal life. To have a victorious Christian life, don't try to push that car up. Just tap His grace, His power. And all that will be unleashed through you. Let's pray, shall we? You know, the Lord is so gracious. I'm amazed by it because He does all of this for us. He loves us. And I should be doing it because of what He's done for me on the cross and for these guys, what He's going to do for them on the cross in a matter of hours. But He comes back and we're going to learn this next week what He's going to do for us in the future. (coughs) Excuse me. But right now, I just want to ask you, are you abiding in Christ? Where are you? You know what you need to do. If he's pruning you, don't fight him. Let him be the gardener, the vine dresser. Realize we're just the branch. But let him, by staying vitally connected to the vine, grow us and produce the fruit. It won't be easy. But with him, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So rest in him. If there are any guests here today or those listening on the radio that haven't placed your faith in Christ, would you please do it right now? Don't wait another moment. We live in a world that's it's so out of control that at any moment you could end your life and it wouldn't be something that uh, you would want. And after that, it's too late to make a decision for eternity. So maybe between you and the Lord, say, Lord, I know I've done things wrong and I know that I could never get to heaven by my good works. I've heard all about grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so today, Lord, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I'm receiving that. So I come to you as someone who is lost, destined for hell. I've broken all the commandments, at least in my attitude and thought, if not in my actions. I know I deserve to spend eternity separated in a horrible place. But I come to you believing that you are the Lord who died and rose again and would give to me freely eternal life and I'm trusting you for that. And thank you that you made it just by faith and not by works. So Lord, I'm relying on you. And Jesus says to those folks that are doing that, you perhaps right now if you're doing that, he's saying, he that believes on me has right now everlasting life. You don't get your everlasting life when you die. You get it ahead of time. He just keeps it for you. But please do it. Those of you that know Christ as Savior, is it time for you to return to the Lord and now thank Him for the pruning that goes on? That He's a very delicate vine dresser. He's not in there with a cut slash burn attitude. He's one because when you're bearing that fruit, it's not only fruit that you're giving to Him, but it's also fruit that you'll enjoy. It's sweet, delicious, healthy fruit, spiritually speaking. Don't you want that? Don't you want it now? Just abide in Him. And then let His Word abide in you. Get into the Word. Let Him speak to you. And then throughout the day, be a 
word-based believer. How many here would like to have prayer that today is a day that you're, as a Christian now, is abiding in Christ and you'd like for me to pray for you with heads bowed, eyes closed, slip up your hand. Today is a day you're going to be abiding fully in Him and letting His words abide in you. Amen. If today's the day you're trusting Christ, I'd like to pray for you. You've never done it before. You only do it once. You don't have to keep doing it again and again. But today's the day you're ready to come to the Lord by faith. And you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all today? Put it up, put it down. Our gracious Heavenly Father, what a good time we've had today learning about you, the wonderful, wonderful vine dresser. Thank you, Jesus, for being the vine and to provide us all that we need for the spiritual life and fruit, that it's through you we bear this fruit. Thank you for carefully and gingerly and graciously snipping us. And then, Lord, we just remember we're nothing but just old branches. That's all we are, just branches. But, oh, Lord, we're connected to the right, to the right vine. And we thank you for it. Now, Father, bear that fruit through us. In your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.